You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions, and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Steve Curtin, president of Circa Healthcare, an independent full-service advertising agency in Malvern, Pennsylvania, specializing in the animal health and biotech industries. Welcome, Steve. Afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us today. Give us a quick overview what is Circa Healthcare? Ah, you're welcome. Circa Healthcare is an advertising agency, marketing consultancy that works primarily these days in the animal health space. And we started out as kind of more general biotech and human health and animal health, but fell in love with animal health. And over a 15-year period, that now represents the vast majority of the work we do. And that ranges from consulting with our clients from pre-launch planning all the way through to launching their products into the veterinary market, which these days means two things. It means both the veterinary business channel, but also the consumer channel, because uh, many of us and many, I'm sure your listeners are pet owners. And that's one big, large part of the business. And the other side is the production animal focus of the business. So uh, we have a, a diverse sort of a range of things that we offer our clients, but everything from planning through launching a product into the marketplace. Well, since your focus is in animal health specifically, I've got a question for you that we need to know before we get into the official meat of the program. Are you an early bird or a night owl? I used to be a night owl, but I've become an early bird. I find that the only time I get any peace is in the morning. So I've changed my habits, sorry. And especially in this kind of I was going to say post-COVID world. I'm not sure it is a post-COVID world yet, but Mm-mm. it has become even more intense and insane. And I find the need to be able to have some quiet time in the morning and kind of get my head around my day before the emails and the Teams and the Zooms all start it is a really required. So I'm a uh, learning to be early bird. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried every now and then to be an early bird and I just not make that yeah. happen. And nowadays, I've got a four-year-old alarm clock who comes into my room and says, mommy, get up. Actually, it's usually, yeah, mommy, we, go for a jog. We have a, a five-month-old puppy. We're walking, talking <laughs> animal health. Sorry, he, he helps too. But yeah, I find that, and when I spend some time at the shore or whatever, that's what I do. I get up, watch the sunrise and that mm. hour or two of peace. But I have to compete against the, the fact I like to go out and eat and stay up probably too late. So when you get past midnight, getting up at six or five is not so easy. Agreed, agreed. Okay, well then, with regard to the actual job and when you are answering all those emails and all those Slack messages and having all those video conference calls, et cetera, who do you need to influence as head of Circa Healthcare? Now, you know, it's kind of two core groups. One is my own team and I can interact obviously with the the management team. So we have the typical finance operations. We uh, maybe different to many companies have a co-creative group that obviously create a lot of work and a very artistic and diverse set of people folk in that and have their leadership. And then HR and our people, we, we invest a lot in our people infrastructure, both here and in the UK. But I also have to interact with the individual client teams. And many times the other audience I mentioned is the clients themselves. My role now as, the, as we've grown and got a little bit more experienced is 
mainly with the C-level clients. We've had enough experience in the industry that we're often used as consultants in go-to-market strategy and in the planning sessions. In fact, that's what this afternoon session is going to be after, after this with, with, with Merck. And so I, I can imagine a lot of those relationships and kind of the forward thinking aspect with my, my strategy team, uh, who are fantastic. They actually make it a lot easier. Whereas our team does a lot of the executional work, the uh, actual getting the work done in terms of implementing a product launch and making sure that it's supported. Well, in that context, then what's the biggest communication challenge that you and your teams are facing today? You know, 180 world, right? Because we were a very kind of close knit physical environment. So we had about 38, 40 people in the office, a lot of interaction in the teams, a lot of folk in huddle rooms. We had reorganized and restructured the new office space to kind of get these physical huddles so people could brainstorm. And we've gone now to a complete work from home environment. We had did that actually from the end of February. And the, so the biggest challenge is, is making sure we retain that connectivity with each other and also with our clients. Actually, with the clients, it's actually been easier Many of the clients have been way more accessible through this sort of medium, Zoom and Teams, than they were before. You know, it would be sometimes hard to get a meeting. Now you can ping a client, as long as you give them a couple of days notice and find some time. And it's also a lot of humanizing. I find I have clients with kids running around in the background, dogs running through. Yeah. We're having very human discussions, which actually has helped us to know our clients a little better, especially in light of the fact we can't have you know the conference interactions or the dinners that we may have had before to get to know them a little bit. The flip side has been the challenge to keep our team connected. So we hold bi-weekly meetings on Teams as it is now, where we, we interact, we chat, we every other week we have a little bit more formal sort of presentation. We encourage kind of a, a buddy group within the, the different departments to make sure we, we actually hired five new people in the last uh, few weeks. So how we bring people into a, a completely virtual environment. It's very unusual. And just maintaining that connectivity and that uh, interaction because this world tends to be a, a staccato world where you have an hour and then you move on, an hour and move on, or 30 minutes and you move on. And you don't have that organic chat that you have when you're in office place. You don't have the water cooler opportunities. You don't have the opportunity to sit with a whiteboard as easily. You can all those technology to help you do that. It's not quite the same. So we're having to learn and adjust. So, you know, that would be the biggest communication challenge is making sure we retain that organic ideation and strategy thinking without kind of losing the effectiveness that we're having right now. I think that's a very relatable challenge. I would be willing to bet most people out there could relate to nowadays. Then what specific communication skills did you have to develop personally in order to get to the CEO role, to to the president's role? And to be successful there? Probably the first one was empathy. Actually learning to listen and putting your own ego aside and learning from those around you who knew more. You can be extremely passionate and involved and knowledgeable in an area, but you, in most environments, need a team. You know? and, and this a business that I'm in is completely team dependent. No one individual can do everything that needs to be done in order to, you know, support service and and deliver for our clients. So empathy was one of those things that I think, you know, historically or hysterically I had as a kid, (laughs) you know, I I was brought up with four sisters, so I I had it bashed into me probably. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But the, that and listening, good listening skills and adding that to, you know, being able to be patient and be succinct when you deliver 
the messages that you wish to deliver and to always do that um, in a genuine manner. I, I think I've seen people over the years really struggle with, you know, they, they, they say what they think they're supposed to say, but actually it comes across as a little hollow. Uh, so I, I think, you know, being genuine is something that people sense very, very quickly, uh, whether it be on an audio or be it in person. And uh, hopefully I think that that's something that you almost shouldn't have to tell somebody, but don't try too hard, you know, and don't, don't feel you have to oversell sell yourself, just be yourself, you know? Sure. I always get in trouble every time I start thinking to myself, well, I shouldn't have to tell someone this. Or I yeah. shouldn't have to write this down to remember this. As soon as my brain says, well, you shouldn't have to do, that's immediately when I go, okay, danger zone, go do it. Because those are exactly the things exactly. you need to do because it'll come yeah. back to haunt. Absolutely. So along that road then, what's one big mistake you made communication-wise or a lesson that you had to learn the hard way? And if you could go back and have a do-over like we did on the playground as kids, what would yeah. that look like? So probably the biggest lesson that I had was my first large public speaking event. I was invited to present a veterinary conference in Barcelona in Spain. And I assumed mistakenly, um, which is mistake number one, that, that it would be kind of like presenting to uh, some of the client audiences and team audiences that, that I had done. So, you know, 20 to 50 people, reasonably large room, but still a room you could connect with. And I had thought that in the veterinary conference world that it would be similar. I knew there was going to be 100, maybe plus, turned out to be 250 people in the room. And there was a complicator, which was that my talk was also being uh, translated because it was in Spain. Mm. The conference was mainly in English, but a lot of the attendees were local, so they were translating. And I had assumed that it was going to be just like able to relate, like we're chatting now. And... I didn't prepare well enough and I, I had underprepared my presentation slides to account for this much more diverse audience than I was used to and also an audience that didn't necessarily understand the terminology as you have to talk about branding within mm. the veterinary space. And some vets get that completely, others don't get it at all. So there are a lot of people who are very novice and I probably just didn't have the tone right. So I didn't prepare well enough. I didn't practice well enough and I assumed too much. So really three lessons coming out of that. that and it was a great learning experience. They were a very patient, tolerant group. So that was great. They asked lots of questions, which was weird because they were doing it through microphones and having to translate. Mm. But not assuming that you can scale small interactions. And by that, I mean one, twos to twenties and thirties to much bigger events and audiences. And, and not assuming, frankly, that something like this even though you can do it well one-on-one -on -one with a client, would work as a product or a thing that lots of people will want to listen to. Don't assume, do your homework and try and prepare well. Then if you could go back and do it over again, what would you have done differently? What would you be telling yourself? Do this, do this, and do this to make that event more successful. I think I would work a lot more on simplifying the presentation. Okay. I had a lot of interaction in, in the presentation that was too complex. Mm. And in that bigger audience, I realized that I needed to be more direct, you know, obviously, especially with the language issues, simplify the presentation and reaffirm my key point more than once, as opposed to trying to cover a lot of ground in a short period of time. I probably try to cover too much ground. So simplify, be more direct. And I think, you know, again, account for the diversity of the audience, which I, I'd underestimate. Sure. And that intercultural communication, when you're working at A in a different 
country in the first place, but in particular with people who are non-native speakers, no matter how fluent they are, there's still a gap there. And that's actually a big part of my background is working with that particular professional demographic and right. just helping people to bridge that gap. Because you sit there and you think, but I'm fluent and I, these people are fluent. And so it shouldn't be a problem. And yet the jargon and the colloquial expressions and run on sentences and those kinds of things when you're trying to yeah. translate in your brain and the sentence never has a period at the end of it. It sort of keeps going. Your, your mental translator is going, oh my God, please help me. So those little things can really be grenades in someone's comprehension ability. Yeah, and they absolutely were. And I think they were grenades in some of the audience's comprehension. They're also grenades in my brain, right? Because I was realizing <laughs> that things that I thought were going to work and click weren't. And I'm like, oh dear, I wasn't expecting that. So I think the advice you provide people, especially again, when you're going to broader, more diverse audiences is really something not to be underestimated. Just because you're a subject matter expert doesn't make you a good presenter. Yes. I was probably a little bit overconfident going into it because I felt I was a subject matter expert, but I probably didn't give them the best value in the presentation. And I felt really bad about that. And, and so, you know, I'm actually inv invited back to present next year and I will over-prepare like hell. And I may be calling you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know where to find me, obviously. And the yeah. uh, that is something that's really critical, just is recognizing. Of course, when you have those moments where you recognize the verbal grenade right in the moment and you're going, abort, 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 and you're going, and do what no. instead? I don't yeah, exactly, have a plan yeah. B. Ready, not ready to go. Yeah. So how do you do those pivots? But yeah, it's, it's a lot of very small changes in mindfulness and in understanding certain basic parameters about working with people who are nevertheless fluent, but still non-native speakers and or just yeah, from a different culture. I mean, I'm sure your, your audience, you're often you're, they're very smart people. These yes. are all veterinarians. They've all done seven years of school. So don't underestimate them for sure. But also don't assume that they have that, in my case, I was talking about branding, that they have that interest. So you have to sure. baby step them through it. And even when you're working with a translator, that's a whole different skill set, right? Is it simultaneous yeah, translation? Is it yeah. tandem? Yeah. You know, is it one app? Do you have to break and wait for it uh, afterwards? Is another word for that as opposed to simultaneous, the word is escaping yeah. me, but synchronous. It, though, but yeah. Yes. So yeah. learning to work with the translator and to speak in a way that facilitates more effective translation and things, but much less humor, which is yikes, hard to translate yeah. all too frequently, mm -hmm. uh, a whole yeah. different skill set. So I'm glad you're raising these issues because they are things people tend to take for granted. And it can really make or break the success and yeah. your impact. Just to kind of follow on from what you were saying, what you just made me think about was that, again, with this virtual world we're living in, we're going to have more presentations. And I've been doing more recently to medium to large size, very diverse groups. Mm. You know, so I think getting more honed into that and learning those skills is going to be a real asset for somebody who, who wants to develop a leadership presence. Sure. Because you're going to have to develop a leadership presence. That, is apparent through this venue. Yes. You know, be that audio or audio video, which is quite different to the leadership presence that you get when somebody walks into a setting or a room and you see other people's interactions with them. So I think that's a, it's an interesting time we're in. Yes, very much so. And I mean, intercultural communication can also go as something as simple as the difference between the US, the UK, and Australia. We all yeah. speak English, but I forget who it was who said the US and the UK are two countries separated by a common language. Indeed. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I remember when I lived in Japan as an exchange student back in college in the dormitories, there were some Americans, some Brits, some Aussies all living together. And we used to joke that we had the biggest communication challenges we experienced <laughs> were with each other, not with the Japanese. Right. And just learning how to, how to, 
It's like, I hear the words and I feel like they should make sense. And if you throw in the South Africans, you have no chance. Right, yeah. right, right. There, there are plenty of other countries as well. Yeah. That's funny. All right. Well, then what's the next big goal for you, whether personally or for Circa Healthcare? And what communication skills will you need to develop in order to achieve it? The next big goal is is really preparing for succession um, and planning mm. for succession. So, you know, I, I reach one of those age milestones this year. And, and also, you know, frankly, like a lot of folk, I think this COVID environment has made you think and rethink kind of your priorities and, and where you go. We have been completely blessed and unfortunate as a business that we have had the best year ever in 15 years. And so we've been able to adjust to this uh, new work environment. But nonetheless, it's how do I help develop the managers that are evolving through our business, kind of take those leadership roles within the company at the same time as we're planning to launch two new divisions of the business, a consulting division and a technology division. And so there's a lot of moving parts. And one of the things that I'm you know, learning certainly as I, I'm fortunate to be surrounded by a bunch of really bright, capable and energetic folk, it is that I need to develop a little bit more skill in providing clarity in direction. So that's the real thing that I need to do. And I think sometimes as leaders, especially again, when you work in specific areas of subject matter expertise and wherever your profession might be, you may often assume that your smart manager or up and coming colleague gets what you're talking about or gets what your expectation is. In fact, you think they're so bright that they can mind read you, you know, and sometimes you go back to that staccato thing, especially now in this sort of moment, you think you provided clarity and direction, but maybe you didn't. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I found on, on occasion in the past, I, I've had some points of frustration or misconnects with my colleagues and leadership where I thought I was clear and they thought I was clear as mud. You know, or that I hadn't given a specific enough actionable next step to them that they may have thought that I was going to take it. So, you know, in terms of trying to learn to delegate better, one of the things that you, you have to learn to do is have, you know, a real purpose and clarity and direction and repeat it back and reaffirm it by audio means or certainly by email means that we agreed that this is what we're doing. And that way you can move a lot quicker because I'm very keen to. I encourage some of my colleagues to take on more, but at a pace they're ready with, and also to not dump and run. And and that's the other thing about clarity of direction is to not just puke on them and, and run and it's their problem. Metaphorically yeah. speaking. Yes, yeah, of course. <laughs> well, or literally for that matter, it's not a good yeah. idea either. But, you know, I think, you know, you, you do see that sometimes that, you know, especially when you're moving fast, people are like boom, 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 boom. And did they really get it? And sometimes you may have assumed they did. And it's no fault of theirs, it's just that you weren't being clear. You were clear in your brain, but not clear in in their uh, comprehension of what you were saying. And that's so critical in, in succession planning to recognize that uh, regardless of which degree you're moving up to, see fill in the blank, O yeah. roles, uh, it's not enough to be the best technical uh, you know, engineer, financial analyst, uh, whatever it is, designer, right. salesperson, et cetera, yeah. that you've got to have those communication skills as well. I've, I've worked with a number of SVPs who were the heir apparent to certain potential roles and the board or somebody else has come to them and in advance and said, look, technically you're the most qualified for this job, but yeah. we don't understand you when you talk. So fix it or finding somebody else when the time comes. And that's a heck of an ultimatum to hear. And it's it's just 
often a, a bit of a slap in the face to people to feel like well, my whole career, I've worked on honing this area of expertise. What do you mean right. I need to develop this other skill set that I've quite successfully avoided, frankly, for the past 25 or 30 years of my life? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think I mentioned where you work in the veterinary profession, there's a good parallel that, you know, they go to vet medical school five to seven years, they learn how to do surgeries and, you know, very, very diverse across multiple species, but they never really taught communication skills. Mm. And yet you imagine they go out into the profession or deal with you and me as a pet owner. What do they need first? Communication skills. Sure. And I think that's true, as you say, whatever I've worked with, you know, great R&D scientists, great engineers, great operational colleagues, you know, that, that run factories and produce, you know, amazing things. But just because you're awesome at what you do and you're extremely knowledgeable doesn't automatically qualify you for a top leadership role. Because if you can't communicate, you're unlikely to successfully secure that role. So honing those skills, some 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 folk are more naturally gifted with those, or just because of their their environment and the way they brought up their personas. But if that's not your skill, you don't have to be awesome at it, but you have to be competent at it. Yes. And I think again, being honest about where your strengths are there is okay. But I think when people realize you're making the efforts to effectively communicate, that that will get you that extra boost that you need. Yes. Well, Steve, this brings us to our listener 24-hour influence challenge. So given everything (laughs) that we've discussed so far, this is your opportunity to speak directly to our listeners and challenge them all to take one step that they can complete within the next 24 hours in order to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? I would like to challenge them with, you know, what pivot, what approach would they take to what they're doing in their role or communications that's a almost a uh, 180 degree opposite to what they've done before that really addresses this COVID environment that we're talking about. We touched on a little bit earlier that you may need to think about ways that you're reaching out and connecting with people to enable you to have that more personal connection through a more virtual means. So what is it you're going to do to pivot your approach, which may have been one-on-one in person, you know, lunch, golf, whatever was your thing, you can't do that anymore. So what's your pivot to maintain those relationships? And, and I would add another level of challenge and grow them virtually. So Perfect. how are you going to pivot and, and do it and grow it? Because, you know, I, I think that opportunity exists. I, I think people are hungry for that communication. I think your, your listeners may find that they actually find folk uh, more accessible, maybe in 15-minute segments, but more accessible over things like this. And so how are they going to leverage that? How are they going to use that? to their organizations or their own benefit. So the challenge is in the next 24 hours to come up with a plan and or to actually reach out to the first person and make that contact. I I would say come out with a plan first, because although you could reach out again, you don't want my experience in Spain, you don't want to go, you know, kind of a bit bumpy. You want it to be a positive experience, but yeah, come up with a plan in 24 hours as to, and not doing what you're doing now, what other layer, what other thing are you going to add or what skill are you going to learn? Because it might require learning a, a presentation skill uh, you don't have right now or something you're not comfortable with right now. So how do you get comfortable with that? And then go and do it and then go and engage. So 24 hours, come up with the plan. Terrific. Come up with the plan. And it could be, you know, three bullet point plan, but you know, here's the three things I'm going to do in order to be ready to do that and, and take advantage of, you know, the, the environment we're in. Great. As opposed to be defensive in the environment we're in. I think that you know, there's a lot of challenging things going on, but there's also upside. And I think especially for those of you that, and I'm sure a lot of you are entrepreneurial, find the, the upsides and then there's lots of windows that you can connect. Then 
moving on from here, when you think about, we've been talking a little bit about succession planning uh, up to this point. So along those similar lines, when you think about who is a good executive or who would make a good executive, we think about terms like executive presence. When you think about terms like executive presence or leadership presence, what does it mean to you? For me, it means the ability to take, you know, we talked about skills and thinking, strategic thinking and knowledge, and apply that in a very practical way that brings uh, a group of colleagues with you. Not so much direct, but more that leadership component that people follow because they see, A, you have some genuine understanding and knowledge, but B, that there's trust and there's a belief that you have a plan and a way to get there even if it's not 100%, you know, so I'm looking for people that are not managers. And I, I see this happen so many times. People feel that they're good managers. That doesn't make them good leaders. Good managers are good executors. Good leaders are those that I think go beyond execution and join the dots with a vision and with a strategy. So learning to demonstrate that in a way that goes beyond management and shows that you have, again, connected with your team and they're following you, you know as opposed to you're telling them. There's a, there's a big difference. I think when you get people following, you can do powerful things. Yes, whether you're, they're following you voluntarily or because they have to, makes yeah, all exactly, the difference. Yeah. yeah. And in that, when you're considering who to hire or who to promote, uh, let's look at both sides of the coin. What are some communication skills that you look for that are required? And on the flip side, what's a red flag that would perhaps prevent you from hiring or promoting them? A lot of these have, as you say, flip sides, right? Sure. They, they go, it's pros and cons, and one can turn you off, as the other one can turn you on. Authentic, you know, I, I think somebody who's not trying too hard, that's comfortable in their own skin, mm -hmm. that they they know that they know what they know, but they don't try and shut it at people. Mm -hmm. They, they kind of do it by example. Mm -hmm. For me, there's that really fine line between confidence and arrogance. Mm -hmm. You need to be confident and grounded, but not arrogant and uh, not listening to others which ties really with if you don't have good empathy and listening skills, I don't think you're going to succeed in this evolving environment we're in. But in most large organizations, I think you need to work on those and motivating and developing others. You know, so I like to look at somebody who is really good at a manager, for example, who's develop, clearly developing other people, not hitting their checklist of we achieve, my team achieve. But looking to see how their new hire or their colleague is now somebody who's performing or even outperforming them. I mean, that's the, again, the age old adage, right? Hire people that are smarter than you and let them do their job yes. and get out of their way. Uh, and I, again, I've been blessed to have some great people that uh, it's hard to learn, let go, right? And get out of their way, especially if you've been a rising star to realize that their star's brighter. But good leaders are not frightened by that. They'll step aside and, and let the star shine. And the opposite of that is when you see somebody who quashes that or who's threatened by that, that person's not going to be a leader. They're definitely managing things. Mm. Yes, we're managing via tyranny as opposed to managing yeah. by yeah. empowering others along the way. I mean, both get things done, but both one is short-termism and not sustainable. The other one is sustainable. And I think, again, if you're like me or somebody who's looking to find succession and leadership within your team, they're the leaders you want, the ones that are going to develop their team. Yes, absolutely. Well, Steve, this comes now to our speed round. And these are some questions that are the simply put common topics that regularly arise in my training and coaching with others, where people tend to think of them as 
black or white issues, either or issues, uh, binary choices, which really they're not. And they often mm. also feel like they're the only ones who struggle with some of these challenges. So yeah. this is a chance to do a little bit of myth busting, a little bit of clarification, and to let people know that they're not alone in working through them. So in a single word or phrase, I'm going to ask you where you land on some of these issues, and then I'll follow up with a question to allow you to give us a bit more insight from there. Sound good? Sounds good. All right. So first, public speaking, love it or hate it? Growing to love it. Growing to love it. All right. I'll take that. Then give us a tip for managing nerves or for speaking with confidence or perhaps just for learning to love it. Practice. So going back to my story earlier on, practice and, and practice in the context of your audience more than you probably think you need to. So that would be my first tip. The second one is, you know, be very proactive in connecting with your audience when you arrive at whatever the venue is. And that's not necessarily just the people who are going to be in whatever number of people in front of you, but the person who's going to introduce you, your co-speakers. That gives you a great opportunity to have a bit of dialogue, right, and interact with people. And at a point, if you're having a blank moment, you can always say, hey, and Jim, what did you think about that? Or that when you said that earlier, it gives you that chance and, and it makes it more human, makes you more human. And I think it allows people in the audience to connect. So connect both with the audience members, but other colleagues, other panel members, and find ways to use that, you know, to have a more natural conversation. And and, and again, talk at people less, talk with them and and connect with them more. Then would you consider yourself more an introvert or an extrovert? No, definitely an extrovert. I think five siblings, four sisters, I learned very quickly that (laughs) if you didn't, you didn't stand out in our family. You didn't get the stuff or that you wanted, even the food. But um, no. <laughs> um, Wallflowers uh, got trampled underfoot. Yeah. I'm, I'm half Irish, and I think that a big part of our heritage is uh, we love people. And I do love people. I, I, I see more hope in society than I see challenges. And I think we have a, a responsibility to keep kind of feeding that hope. That's beautiful. Then what's one related strength of being an extrovert? And what is one related area for growth? The strength, I think, you know, if you're an extrovert, the positivity comes through. But I actually, the strength I would focus on is that empathy one again. Because mm. while I very much, you know, like and enjoy engaging with people, it's no fun if it's a one-way street. Mm. And I, I think listening and learning, and, and again, there's so much to learn out there from the, the personas and the people that you meet, you know, listening in, in a way then and trying to find a common ground to connect. And from that, you can build up with most people, I find. And I found it very rarely do you find people who are, so cold you can't find some find some point of connection and i want to go back to what i said earlier on in terms of clarity and direction for me i just getting really good at providing clear direction when i'm interacting you know with colleagues even clients as to what the next steps are what we've agreed and not having people parrot it back but find some way to to validate that you've connected yes thank you And that brings us to our last question, which is about conflict, handling conflict. When faced with the potential conflict or a difficult conversation, natural instinct, how you're hardwired, is your natural instinct to want to avoid it or to address it head on? Address it head on. I'm definitely a fighter in that respect. But again, I think that over the years, you learn to breathe first. Mm -hmm. I definitely, and I'm sure this has been said before by other guests, you know, the overnight rule is a great rule. Mm, Tell us about the overnight rule. Well, the overnight rule is if something blows up in the day or something happens or between colleagues and you're pulled into it in any shape or form, uh, take the overnight to digest it, let it, because sometimes you want to get in and fight. You want to address the issue. And especially, you know, you know, brought up many of us were like, fix it now, fix it now, you know, but it's not always the right thing to do to fix it. Sometimes you have to let people work it through. Sometimes you have to yourself work it through 
because sometimes the initial thought might not be the right thought or you can frame it slightly differently and get a lot better outcome. So wherever possible, I, I have the overnight rule, which is sleep on it. Uh, I will draft an email, for example, if it's an email reply or I will before I leave a voicemail, you know, or I, before I reach out, I'll say, look, just give that overnight, come back to it in the morning, that quiet time in the morning. I said, you know, try and use that time. I, I, is that still what I want to say and how I want to say it? Because all these things have a ripple effect. So you have to think that through. And sometimes when your initial instinct is to fight, you're not always thinking about the implications of the ripple effect. Mm. And sometimes the implications can cost you a lot more damage limitation issues than if you thought it through and taken a second. Um, yeah. And fight fair. You know, and I, I think that's the other thing. Just because you can win and fight in a particular battle, think about the war mm. and, and don't take advantage of your position or your persona. Take a step back and what would you do if you were in their position? How would you take what you're about to deliver to them? Because you were in that position once. Wise words indeed. Steve, how can people learn more about you and Circa Healthcare? Well, we can uh, go to our website at circahealthcare.com. We're on LinkedIn. I'm very open to accepting connections. I love to learn myself, but I think we, we work in a communications industry. So you'll see that I often respond quite quickly if I can. And if I can't, you know, I'm having one of those crazy weeks. But there's so much, I, I think, um, opportunity out there right now, even though we're in some you know, really negative environmental situations. If we look for the positives, we'll find them. And I'm sure a lot of the folks listening to Speaking to Influence are looking for those positive opportunities. That's terrific. Steve, thank you so much for joining me today. I enjoyed it. Thank you. It's the quickest 30 minutes ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what we want, right? Time flies when you're having fun. So if you can have yeah. fun and learn something in the process. What more could we ask for? I want to thank the listeners out there for tuning in as well. Be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my quick start guide to mastering the three C's, command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.